0: All right. I am going to call Lisa. Lisa Carroll is going to come up, um, and as she does, she's going to read our scripture for do our scripture reading for us this morning. And what we've been doing, if you haven't been out to any of these since the Acts series started, is because of the emphasis within the Book of Acts about going out to the nations beyond Israel to all the nations. These would be other languages. These would be people of other languages. And so we found out, just started asking around. We've got a lot of folks that speak a lot of different languages around here. It's been a real treat to get to hear the word of God spoken in other languages as a reminder of what we see happening in Acts. And so Lisa is going to read for us. She's a missionary kid. Don't hold it against her. So she spent a lot of time in Japan growing up. And so she's going to read in Japanese for us and then in English.
1: All right, so first is uh, Acts 2, 22 to 24 in Japanese. Shitono no hataraki, nisho, niji ni kara niju yon Ah, minasan, kore kara moshi ageru kite kudasai. Yoku go zonji no yoni, Nazare no yesu wa anata gata no mae de chikara aru kiseki wo okono Ware Mashta. 神様は Shino Kurushimi kara Then we've got Acts two, fourteen through twenty four in English. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions." and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Amen. Okay, well, I'm Rabbi Matt. I wanted to keep my mask on for a minute just to make Mariners fans angry. And for Pastor Aaron, you're welcome. So, go Yankees. Mariners are pretty good, though, right now. Just just kidding. (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Uh... So uh, my name's Matt. I'm the rabbi of Restoration, which is uh, in Seattle, and we haven't had the uh, ability to meet yet live in person. So I'm a little bit out of practice. I, I haven't worn pants for several months, actually. <laughs> I've worn shorts. Don't be weird. But um, it's fun to um, be with you guys and to share. And Pastor Aaron is uh, one of my favorite people. He is a walking theological Dictionary. He knows all the right terms for all the right things. All the isms and the t- t- other things. I don't know. Fifty cent dollar words that I don't really pay attention to. Sometimes I call Aaron and say, What's it called when you believe? And then he gives some kind of fancy uh word. I am often disappointed in Aaron's mustache, um, which gives me great hope to see Pastor Jason's part of the staff because his beard is very rabbinic, and uh, I'm glad to see beards represent themselves the way they should. Although, Jason, I think you have all that gray because of the six kids, probably. That's <laughs> seems like a lot of gray for a young guy, um, but now it makes sense to me. Um, so today, we're going to talk, uh, we're in Acts uh, chapter 2, and of course, Aaron, being a young preacher, is still an old-school Reformed preacher, and so, you know, he... You're probably going to be in the book of Acts for the next 17 years, um, and in uh, as Aaron's been going, you know, plan this out. He he told me to preach 41 verses, which would be a lot for Aaron, but is not a lot for this rabbi. So we're going to rock Acts chapter two together. Uh, you know the word Pentecost. Uh, what you may not know is that Pentecost is a Greek word that was created by rabbis as they translated. Uh, Jewish ideas for Jewish people and translated the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, into Greek for Greek speaking Jews. And so Pentecost is the, in Greek means 50 days because Pentecost follows uh, Passover 50 days after Passover. In Leviticus 23, It tells us to celebrate Passover. And then when Passover, the Shabbat of Passover, uh, is over, we count 50 days according to Leviticus. And you count 50 days to the day of Pentecost, which means 50 days. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot. And Shavuot means weeks because there are seven weeks, 49 days, plus one day. 50. That's about all the math I can do except for the book of Numbers. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So... Uh, there are there's this deep connection between Passover and Shavuot, or what you know as Pentecost. And, and what I want to walk you through is there's a few important scriptures for Shavuot, for Pentecost. First is Exodus 19 and 20, which is the giving of the law, the Torah, to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, and it is part of, in Jewish tradition, the, sel- the giving of the Torah was on this day of Shavuot, on the day of... Of Pentecost, And in Acts chapter 2, of course, it's uh, Pentecost again. And the reason why they're gathered in the temple courts in Jerusalem with someone speaking in Hebrew is because Pentecost is a Jewish holiday called Shavuot in Hebrew um, that we're commanded by God to be in Jerusalem for and to celebrate at the temple. And being that all the original disciples of Jesus are Jewish, they were doing what they were supposed to do, in celebrating Shavuot, and Jews from all over the world gathered together in Acts chapter 2 because of the day of Shavuot, or Pentecost. Now, you've heard it preached before, and maybe you've said uh, and have thought uh, and certainly have read in all kinds of books that Pentecost is the start of the church. And what I want you to understand this morning is Acts chapter 2 is not the start of anything. It's the middle, of the story, In fact, there's about 2,000 years uh, from Abraham to Jesus, as there are 2,000 years from Jesus, well, to us. I don't know if you realize that the, the new covenant's not new anymore. Right? We've had it for 2,000 years. Well, in the same sense, the Torah was, you know, we call it, in Judaism, we don't call it the old covenant, uh, but it's, you know, it was the same age for them as the new covenant is for us. That's more math. I know it's hard to do on a Sunday morning when you're sitting in the sun. But uh, uh, there's this, this connection to understanding that the New Testament is not the Christian Bible. The New Testament is a part of a Jewish canon of Scripture, and it's a part of fulfillment of promises that God made to the Jewish people. That opens the doors to the Gentiles, to the nations, to people from every ethnicity and every nation and every tribe and every tongue. But first, we need to understand why it's a fulfillment to the Jewish people, not the start of something new. The reason in church history that Acts 2 became the start of the church is because there are early church fathers who believed that Judaism had to end. And so they needed a starting point, and the starting point is Acts 2. It actually comes from Acts 10. Peter, referencing back to Acts 2, says, The Holy Spirit has fallen on Cornelius and his house, the first Gentiles, like it did on us in the beginning. And so people say, Well, if Peter thought it was the beginning, then it must be the start. But Peter isn't using the word beginning as something brand new that happened. He's saying what's happening to these Gentiles is the same thing that happened to us on the day of Shavuot in the temple courts. The reason why that's surprising is because there's a full nine years between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. And for the first nine years after the resurrection and after the giving of the Spirit, the only people who received the Spirit of God were Jewish people for nine years until Peter preaches to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and his family is filled with the Spirit in the same way that Jewish people were in Acts chapter 2. It takes another 10 years to get to Acts 15. So there's 10 years between Acts 10 and Acts 15, and Acts 15 is where the disciples, these Jewish followers of Jesus, ask a very important question. What do we do with all these Gentiles? And what is required of Gentiles? Because for us, believing in Jesus is Jewish. But all these Gentiles who are not Jews are believing, so what do we do for them? It's this weird thing that's flipped over in our time where I get as a Jewish follower of Jesus, as a Messianic Jew, a question I'm asked often when I meet people is how could you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? It's the exact opposite of what the Jewish disciples were wrestling with uh, in the first century. They were wrestling with how could someone be a Gentile and believe in Jesus? So how does... It shift in, in the world and in the culture, where it's almost a given in our day and age that Jews don't believe in Jesus, Christians do, and if a Jew believes in Jesus and he's no longer Jewish, he's a Christian, except Jesus was not, it's not that he was Jewish, it's that he, well, still currently is Jewish, sitting at the right hand of the Father, And that all of his original disciples and all of the people in Acts chapter 2 that are filled with the Spirit are all Jewish people. So how does it shift to the start of the church marks an end for Judaism? And what I want you to see instead is what happens in Acts chapter 2 is the hope of Israel is made known to the Jewish people that then in the years to come opens the door for Gentiles to be adopted into the family of God. Now, when people say church, usually they mean the people of God, right? We don't mean the building. The building's not the church. The people are the church. But the people of God start with the Jewish people. And the reason why that's important is because if God doesn't keep his covenants and promises to the Jewish people, then any promise he's made to those of you who are not Jewish don't matter. Because if he doesn't, make his, he doesn't fulfill promises he made before, then who's to say he's going to fulfill any promises he made to you? There's a continuity that's important in understanding that God has fulfilled all of his promises. Well, not all, because there's still some to be fulfilled. But he's fulfilled promises that he made to the Jewish people to help us be a light to the nations and to tell the nations that there's only one God, the God of Israel, who came in the form of a man and lived 30 years until he started to teach and then gathered disciples, was crucified on Passover, rose from the dead during Passover, ascended, uh, 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 appeared resurrected for a period of 40 days, ascended into heaven and said, you got to stay in Jerusalem to his disciples because I'll give my spirit to you. And they had no plans of leaving Jerusalem because we're supposed to be in Jerusalem. According to the Torah, we're supposed to be in Jerusalem for both Passover and Shavuot. So as people from the land of Israel would come, particularly from the Galilee and in the north, they would come for Passover and they would stay for 50 days through to Shavuot. So it didn't surprise the disciples when Yeshua ascending into heaven. Well, that part was surprising when he took off. But he said to them, stay here in Jerusalem because I'm going to send my spirit. And they were like, yeah, that's what we're going to do anyway because we got to be in the temple on the day of Shavuot. But what I want you to know is that there, you have to look at the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai and the giving of the Holy Spirit in the temple courts in Acts chapter 2, both as Jewish history events. They are both important events in the history of the Jewish people, and they take place on the same day. And when something takes place on the same day, it's an indication to us that God wants to say something very clearly in connection between those two. So the disciples of Yeshua, the original Jewish followers of Yeshua, they did not see Acts chapter 2 as the start of something new. That rhymes in case you need to. Nothing new happened in Acts chapter 2. The disciples understood that what happened to them in Acts chapter 2 was equal in importance to what happened on Mount Sinai. Or even what happened to them in Acts chapter 2 was just like Sinai. That there were all these things that happened that that was clear to them that what they were experiencing was what God promised the Jewish people would experience, not for the first time, but again. So the Acts of the Jewish apostles, the book of Acts, is first the story of God's fulfillment to the Jewish people, really from Acts, I don't know if you realize that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when it says uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that that's the exact pattern that the telling of the book of Acts goes through. That it starts in Jerusalem, and it goes to the preaching of, in Judea and Samaria in the first few chapters of Acts, uh, and then it extends to the ends of the earth. It follows the pattern that Yeshua said through the book of Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, starting in chapter 10 with the first Gentile and his family that are filled with the Holy Spirit. So one Jewish writer said about the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, he said, You have to understand that the arrival at Sinai inaugurates the culminating stage in the process of forging Israel's national identity and spiritual destiny. And there's a little bit of confusion because certainly the nation of Israel, I believe, is blessed by God. And is, uh, uh, the modern state of Israel is a fulfillment of prophecies in, in our lifetime. Um, but it's not the people of Israel. It's not the state of Israel. It's the Jewish people as a whole in all the parts uh, of the world that God is calling back to himself. And it's the receiving of the Torah. At Mount Sinai through Moses, it is a revelation of our identity as the people of God. And the Jewish people today are still the people of God. Uh, It's funny to ask, which I've done, ask a Jewish person why we're chosen or what we're chosen for. Because everybody knows the Jewish people are the chosen people. But you find that even most Jewish people don't know what they're chosen for. So you can ask, what, what are you chosen for? And the answer is, we are chosen to be a light to the nations, to tell the Gentiles that all your gods are not real, that there's only one God and he's the God of Israel and he's the creator of the heavens and the earth and he, he's coming back for his people. And so there's the giving of the Torah, which is a, a revelation of identity and, and Mount Sinai is the birth of the Jewish people. And the logic goes for a lot of church fathers in, the, in, in kind of the end of the 100s and the early 200s, which is very early, that if Sinai is the birth of the Jewish people, then Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. So the Holman Bible handbook says that the church was inaugurated at Pentecost as God's new society. Or Millard Erickson in Christian theology says the church is the new Israel and occupies the place in the new covenant that Israel occupied in the old Whereas in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God was peopled by national Israel. In the New Testament, it's peopled by the church. But that's not what the book of Acts says. And that's not what Luke intended to get across. What Luke intended to get across in the telling of Acts chapter 2 and the giving of the Spirit in the temple courts in Acts chapter 2 is that the disciples understood that what happened at Mount Sinai was happening to them. On the same day. And that because it was on the same day, they need to pay attention to what was happening in that moment and the fulfillment of promises that God made to the Jewish people. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, When the day of Shavuot, Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. Now a lot of people assume, there's a lot of upper room ministries and the upper room church and the upper room this and the upper room, but the giving of the Spirit does not happen in the upper room. The upper room is where the uh, replacement for Judas is chosen, which is chosen by lots, which is super funny because they're basically he like pulled the short straw, and they were like, "Okay, you you get to take his place." That happens in the upper room. What happens with the giving of the Spirit is when Luke writes, "When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place." Where is the one place? that Jewish people gather on the day of Shavuot. The temple in the courts of the temple in Jerusalem. It goes all the way back to Leviticus, that when there's a temple or the tabernacle and the temple, you will gather together in the city of Jerusalem, the city that's named by God that he put his name on, And you'll gather there together in one place. And then it says in verse 5, Now Jewish people were staying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation, under heaven. The only people who are there at the giving of the Spirit are Jewish people. And mostly men. Are the ones who are actually counted when it says the three thousand are saved. There are women and children as well, but they, they only counted men at, at the time. So there's actually a whole lot more, but there are really there there may be a few Gentiles who converted to Judaism or were connected to Judaism, but there's no Gentiles at the giving of the Spirit because God had to fulfill his promises to the Jewish people first, and there were Jewish people from every nation. That were in attendance for what was about to happen. And here's what I, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. If something is being fulfilled, it's a revelation of something promised, not something brand new. If something is being fulfilled, it's a revelation of something promised, not something brand new. I have a book coming out early next year uh, called uh, Jesus Never Said Anything New. And some of you are like, no, he definitely did. Because I remember he said the word new. And there are a few times where he uses the word new, but he doesn't use it in the same way that we use the word new. When, when, when a revelation happens, when you have an epiphany about something, and, and it becomes a, you, you come to a point where you understand something, does it not feel brand new? Man, I've never understood that before. That that's incredible. It's new to you, but it doesn't mean that it's new. Because, well, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and God is often, he, he fulfills His promises not in order to do something new, but to show Himself as one who fulfills His promises. And that's really the heart of what's happening in the whole first part. Chapters 1 to 10 of the book of Acts, or 1 to 9, are, are the fulfillment of God's promises. So I want you to know that the theme of Shavuot, the theme of Pentecost in Judaism is revelation. And there's two different revelations, one at Mount Sinai and one in the temple courts in Acts chapter 2. Uh, at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, there's a revelation of identity. It's the moment where we receive the Torah as the people of God and Israel becomes God's people and God becomes our God. Uh, The Torah serves as our uh, constitution. It it, it regulates our relationship uh, as a people with God. So in Exodus 19, at the giving of the Torah, it says, now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my covenant, we actually read this earlier in the service, then you will be my own treasure from among all the people for all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the sons of Israel. It's a, a, a revelation of identity as God's people. Not that we put on ourselves, but that God put on us as a people. Then in Acts chapter 2, there's, there's a revelation of authority. That's New York for Authority. <laughs> Um, which I have to translate for the Pacific Northwest. Sometimes I speak in the tongue of New York. And there's a theme, a revelation of authority in the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then what takes between nine and 19 years to actually happen from Acts chapter two is the expansion of the filling of the Spirit to the nations. But there's a full almost 20 years where the Holy Spirit only fills Jewish people who believe in Yeshua until Peter preaches the gospel to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit falls on him and his house the same way. And he has to go and explain himself. In Acts chapter 11, he goes back to Jerusalem and they're like, the other Jewish apostles are are like, "Did, did, did a Gentile receive the Holy Spirit? And he's like, yeah, it was crazy. And we like, it happened. It's like what happened to us. But for the last 20 years, it hasn't happened at all to non-Jewish people, and now apparently it's happening to Gentiles as well. And they're like, man, in 10 years we should have a council about this. <laughs> and they have to get together to figure out what does, what does God, God's Spirit-filling Gentiles actually look like, and what would be required of Gentiles that is probably different than is required of the Jewish people. So often we hear the words, the church started in Acts chapter 2. The church is the hope of the world, and it started in Acts chapter 2. But the church does not start in Acts chapter 2. If you need a place for the start of the people of God, it would be Mount Sinai. It would be when God made a covenant with the Jewish people. Acts chapter 2 is a further fulfillment of that same covenant on the very same day that Moses received The Torah, the church does not start in Acts chapter 2. Instead, Acts 2 is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jewish people that later opens the doors for Gentiles to come to Yeshua, to Jesus. The church does not start in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is when the hope of Israel in the person of our Messiah Yeshua was made known to the Jewish people because the disciples understood in the moment as they were experiencing it that what was happening to them was exactly what happened on Mount Sinai. And they paid attention to all the things that were happening. So it says in verse 2, when uh, uh, suddenly there came uh, from heaven a a sound like a mighty rushing wind and and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire spread out, appeared on them and settled on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. The, The Spirit enabled them to speak out. Now, I I believe in the gift of tongues. I believe in uh, in the tongues of angels and that uh, there are people among us that experience that gift. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening in the book of Acts is Jewish people from every nation, born in those nations and native speakers of other languages other than Hebrew came to Jerusalem for the day of Shavuot. And Peter stands up to preach in Hebrew, yet everyone who speaks the language they speak from their own nation, all Jewish people hear Peter preaching in their own language. So He speaks in Hebrew, but they all understand the translation and it's like he's speaking in their language and apparently even when they spoke to each other in this moment, they could speak to each other in their native tongues and understand each other while not even speaking The same language. And everything that's described in Acts chapter 2 sounds a whole lot like what happens at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. Exodus 19 verse 16 says, In the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and the blast of an exceedingly loud trumpet. And all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the lowest part of the mountain. Now the entire Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because Adonai descended upon it in fire and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the sound of the shofar, the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with a thunderous sound. And in the course of Jewish history, when God speaks, there's fire, there's smoke and there's a loud sound. And what's happening in Acts chapter 2 are all the same key words that happened in Exodus 19 on the same day because God is fulfilling a promise to his people. So let me just be clear on this point. Let me tell you what's not happening in the book in Acts chapter 2. There's nothing new. There's no birth of a new people. There's no disregard of the Jewish people. There's no mulligan. There's no restart. There's no beginning. Here's what is happening in Acts chapter 2. It's a Sinai-like event with fire, smoke, and a loud sound that evoked for the disciples the covenant at Mount Sinai. Verse 5 says, uh, of Acts 2, it says, Now Jewish people were staying in Jerusalem, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And, And when this sound came, the crowd gathered, and they were bewildered, because each was hearing them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Aren't these guys from the Galilee? They're the worst. How is it that each of us are hearing our own birth language. And there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those living in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phygra and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya towards Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Rome, both Jewish and converts and Cretans and Arabs. and, And we hear them declaring in their own language the mighty deeds of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to each other, what does all of this mean? And so Peter, who's one of my favorite characters in Scripture because he does such amazing things and such dumb things, often at the same time. You remember back in the, in the early days of following Jesus, he, Jesus said, who do you think I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And he said, Peter, that wasn't just you as a human speaking. That was the Holy Spirit speaking through you. Four verses later, he tells Peter that he's Satan. Satan. He says, get, get behind me, Satan. Like there's these two really extreme moments of Peter. who's like, you just spoke. The spirit of God just spoke right through you. And so did Satan right after it. And so Peter is this guy of extremes who, who stands up to preach to the men of Israel in the temple courts on the day of Shavuot. And, and it says others, verse 13, it says others were poking fun. And we're saying, these guys are just drunk. And Peter stands up with the 11 disciples, the apostles, the one who replaced Judas, and they raised his voice and he said, fellow Jewish people, and all of you who are staying here in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and pay attention to my words. God is doing a brand new thing. He's starting a new religion called Christianity. We'll no longer attend synagogue. We'll all go to church on Sundays. and We're going to drink his blood and eat his body. That's not what it says. Verse 15 actually says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. I mean, it's only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my slaves, male and female, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy and I'll give you wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoke. The truth is, there's no start of the church. There's only Jewish people there. It's in the temple courts, it's in Jerusalem, and Peter's preaching in Hebrew with Jews from every nation, understanding in their own language, quoting the prophet Joel about the day of the Lord, the giving of the Spirit to the Jewish people, the spirit of prophecy for us and for our children, fire, smoke, and loud sound, just like at Mount Sinai, on the same day, the day of Shavuot. Because the disciples understood that what was happening to them In Acts chapter 2 was equal in importance to what happened at Mount Sinai. And they didn't understand it as the start of the church, which marks the end of Judaism. Instead, they understood it as the hope of Israel revealed. So that through us, we could preach to the nations. And tell them that the gods you worship are no gods at all. But the God who created the heavens and the earth is the God of Israel. And he's called you, from whatever nation and ethnicity you're from, to come back to him because he formed you in your mother's womb. And he designed you. but of course, the door of, to the Gentiles actually isn't open for somewhere between nine and 19 years after. So you look at who Peter addresses in his sermon in Acts chapter two. In verse five, he says, Jews in Jerusalem. In verse 14, he says, fellow Judeans. In verse 22, he says, men of Israel. In verse 29, he says, brothers. There were all these Jewish people there because God commanded us to be. Sometimes people line up this idea that Jesus isn't about religion. He's about relationship. And it's just not true. Because Jesus observed Judaism. Judaism. In everything that he did, if you want to be more literal about it, he founded Judaism. Like if you think about Jesus has, God the Father and God the Spirit have no image other than the image of Jesus. That means if Moses spoke to him face to face on Mount Sinai, he was speaking to Jesus. Abraham had a relationship with Yeshua, when the Pharisees are arguing with him, he, they say, you're not even 50 years old. How could Abraham know you? And he says, because I am. Which is the Jewish way from the Torah of saying, I am God. Sometimes people say, Jesus never said he's God, but he, he did. He literally stood in front of the leaders of the Jewish people and said the words that only God can say. I am. And Abraham knows me. Isaac and Jacob, they all know me, and you're supposed to know me too. And there's this thing that comes out of early church history called Jewish deicide. Uh, Interestingly enough, it starts in in the end of the 100s, which is really early, and, and and it was overturned by the Catholic Church in 1964, which is the lifetime of many of the people here it was overturned that the idea of Jewish deicide is that the Jews killed Christ and are being judged for it. And they actually use some of the verses of Peter, who's Jewish, preaching to Jewish people in the temple courts in Hebrew to make it the fault of the Jewish people that God would judge us forever. But we know that until the final day of judgment, God doesn't judge anything forever. There's judgments, and then he takes us back. There's, I'll bring you into the land, and then I'm going to bring you out because you didn't listen to me. And then I'm going to remind you, and then you're going to say, but we forgot. And then he's going to say, that's okay. I'll let you back into the land, and then I'm going to take you out, and then I'm going to put you back in, and then I'm going to take you out, and then I'm going to put you back in. And there's so many Christians who say, gosh, Israel was the worst. They were so disobedient. They're like my children. And somehow we remove ourselves from... Oh yeah, I'm just as disobedient. I, I I I don't listen. And in in Acts 22, some of these early church fathers like Justin Martyr use verses like verse 23, when Peter says, uh, "This Jesus, given over by God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge, nailed to the cross by hands of lawless men, you killed." And verse. 36 he says therefore let the whole house of israel know for certain that god has made him this jesus whom you crucified and some church fathers early in church history take these as condemnations of the jewish people but what's actually happening in this moment is 50 days earlier yeshua was put to death and some of those leaders who who yelled crucify him are there in the temple courts listening to Peter preach because all the Jewish people are in the temple courts for the day of Shavuot. And Peter's not saying it as a condemnation of his own people. He's saying, look, we killed him, but death couldn't hold him. And he rose from the dead during Passover, and he, he appeared resurrected for 40 days. And we were there, we saw it, we ate with him and we had meals with him and we fished with him and we saw the way he was brutally killed but then he was with us again with scars in his hands and feet and in his side, we touched them. And then he ascended into heaven and told us to stay and now he sent us the spirit of God in this moment. It, it, it's not a condemnation of the Jewish people. It's the same message that was always for the Jewish people and is still for the Jewish people that no matter how far you run away, God made a promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. And he always calls us back to himself. And the emphasis is on the Jewish people because if God doesn't fulfill his promises to us, then for those of you who who are not Jewish, who are from the nations, if he didn't fulfill our promises to us, then you have no hope. And God is a liar. If he doesn't protect and and fulfill and continue to call Israel back to himself. But for so long, the church has said the Jews killed Christ, but that's not what Peter's saying. But it's been misunderstood by Christians for centuries. And it's a key belief of the early church fathers. And it's the root of the idea that the church begins in Acts chapter 2. But the truth is, there's no start to the church There's an extension and an enlargement of God's people which starts with the Jewish people and then the doors are opened to the nations because that was always God's plan from the beginning. And on this day of Shavuot, this this day uh, of revelation, first through Moses at Mount Sinai and then through the Jewish apostles filled with the Holy Spirit In Acts chapter 2, we understand that the church did not start in Acts chapter 2. There's nothing new in Acts chapter 2. But Acts 2 is the fulfillment of God's promises to the Jewish people that opens the doors for Gentiles to come to Yeshua. The church does not start in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is when the hope of Israel was made known to the Jewish people. And in light of that revelation... The Jewish people listening respond to Peter's message. He said, you killed him. Look, we killed him. We we were all there. I mean, think about, Peter says, when he writes the letter of 1 Peter, he he says, as a a witness, an eyewitness of the sufferings of Yeshua. Because he was there. Remember, he denied him three times. Peter's not blaming the Jewish people for killing Jesus. He killed Jesus. He was there. He denied him in the moment when he should have stood with him. And Peter says, look, we killed him. But what's happening right now is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel and all the things we've ever read about and all the things we've ever understood and all the things, the reason why we're gathered here today in Acts 2 verse 37, the Jewish people in attendance, including some of the leaders who put Yeshua to death, were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we supposed to do? Like, what do we do now? And verse thirty-eight says Peter said to them, Repent, and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua, and for the removal of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as we are in the process of receiving it right now. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far away as many as our god calls to himself it's it's reminiscent of the words of paul in romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when he says i am unashamed of the gospel for it is power to save both to the jew first and to the nations the reason why it's to jewish people first is because we were the only ones that had the context to understand You can't go to a group of pagans who'd worship thousands of gods and say, the one true God sent his son to die for you as a sacrifice. Because they'd say, what? But to Jewish people, it was, well, that's what we've been waiting for. Is this really the guy? Well, he died and rose on Passover. As we counted the 50 days leading to Shavuot, he appeared resurrected for 40 of those days. Then he ascended into heaven on the 40th day, and he told us to be here in the temple courts on the day of Shavuot. And what's happening to us now is what happened on Mount Sinai and it's all happening on the same day. So you tell me if it's God or not. The gospel is first to Jewish people and then it's extended to the nations and somehow we've gotten it twisted to where people think that Jews can't believe in Jesus or in some cases shouldn't believe in Jesus. And if they do they somehow become non-Jewish. We become a Gentile. And there's nothing wrong with being a Gentile. It's just the order of how God does things. That he calls people to himself in the order that he set up uh, in, in the scripture. And the theme of the day of Shavuot in Acts chapter 2 is revelation. It's a revelation of identity. And it's a revelation of authority. Or Authority. The Jewish people received the Torah, and Israel becomes God's people at Mount Sinai. And in the temple courts, the Jewish people remain the people of God. But there's a revelation of authority that we receive the Holy Spirit and then show Gentiles how to receive the Holy Spirit by doing exactly what we did on the day of Shavuot, which is repent for your sins and be immersed in water. Now, some of you, if you've been to Jerusalem, you know that there's a southern wall of the temple, and the southern wall of the temple has steps that go up, and, and every Jewish person would go up those steps with their sacrifice to take it into the temple for, for the sacrifices. And at the bottom of those steps are mikvahs, and mikvahs are these pools uh, that we, we immerse ourselves in. It's kind of funny to think about, but Jesus, John didn't hold Jesus and tell Jesus to hold his nose and cross his arms and dunk him. In Judaism, we immerse ourselves with priests presiding over it. So John actually stood in the water while Jesus dunked himself. Because if somebody's unclean, you don't want to touch. I mean, it's very coronavirus of them. You don't, you don't touch someone who's unclean. They do it themselves, and then they come out clean. And so it, when, when Peter says, when these, when these uh, the Jewish people say, well, what do we do? And he says, well, repent and be immersed in water. They just left. They walked down the southern steps. They went through the mikvah again, which they did before they went up. And they dunked themselves again because they were unclean, but they did it in the name of Yeshua. And they came out clean. And so anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, both from Israel, from the Jewish people, and from any nation on the planet. Now all we do is we repent for our sins and we are immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be filled with God's spirit just like they were on the day of Acts chapter two, on the day of Shavuot, where nothing new happened. I forgot to say earlier, if any of this has made you upset, Aaron would love to receive an email from you about any of it. But it's why Peter says in, in verse 36, he's looking at his own people, the, the people of Jesus, the Jewish people, and he's saying, therefore let the whole house of Israel know for certain that God made him both Lord and Messiah. And it's true for the Jewish people first, and then it's extended to any person, from any nation, of any tribe, in any language, that when we call on the name of Jesus in whatever language, his name in any language, that he hears and responds and calls us back to himself. If there's anyone here or watching who's never received Jesus as their Messiah, today is a perfect day to do it. Because he went through all of this for that moment so that you could receive him and understand him and receive a revelation. And for those of us who already know Jesus, particularly those of you who are not Jewish, there's a a gratitude and and an awe that, that God would adopt any of us, that he would set up this whole plan from the beginning of the foundations of the world so that he could call all people from all nations and every tribe and every tongue to himself as these things are made clear to us. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be as your people. Lord, we pray that you would help us in this strange and difficult time that we are in, in our country and in the world, that you would help us to be a light to the people around us, to not be so overwhelmed with the things that we can't understand or the things we want to understand that we don't lose sight of the people you've called us to be and the light that you've called us to be to our neighbors. We love you, Lord, and we are grateful that you keep your promises and that you've invited us to be a part of your people. In Jesus' name. Amen.